In the world of Hollywood, movies get greenlit and redlit. They get remade and rebooted. But we are the ideal. I'm Sam Gash, and you are listening to Ideal Remake. Thank you for listening to Ideal Remake. We take movies that either have been, will be, or should be remade and talk about what the ideal version of that remake would be. This time, we're trying to understand the nature of a thing so we know what it's capable of. (laughs) And my guest today is a motherfucker who's always trying to skate uphill named Zach Luna. (laughs) Zach, is Blade a movie that has been, will be, or should be remade? I think it's probably in the will-be camp at this point, pretty squarely. I yeah. think it's a it's a lucrative property and a just badass movie in general. Um, Have they announced that they're going to be remaking it? No, there have been rumors, a lot it. of little tiptoes here and there about whether or not they're going to have they're going to put Blade in the MCU, which I guess was the premise we started from. Today. Right. Um, Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, hey, this is Zach. Yeah, I'm Zach. Yeah, you can normally hear me on Spider-Man Minute that I co-host tell, with Scott Carelli. Tell us more about yourself, Zach. Oh, what, you what know. are you? I am an actor and podcaster in Los Angeles, and I am sometimes in TV shows, and I am oftentimes on podcasts, and this is a podcast I am on today, normally. Can, can confirm. <laughs> normally I'm on Spider-Man Minute. Okay. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? What's well, our <laughs> premise? <laughs> what's fun for me is that we're watching Blade specifically because, or we ta- we're talking about Blade, and I first saw Blade... A couple years ago, or however we saw it, because you made me watch Blade. Of course, yeah. It's important yeah. cinema for anyone. <laughs> if there's one person I can trust on Blade and Blade-related things, it's Zach Luna. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Sam. That's a... Uh, for those who don't know me, that's a, a I don't double think joke. They, I don't think they need that. They don't need uh, that? Back, okay. They don't need the background. Zach collects swords. Anyway. Right, anyway. <laughs> and designed them, and, you know, it was fine. But how did you first see Blade? I first saw Blade... Not not in theaters, on home video, and my brother showed it to me. Uh, my older brother, who I mention a lot on these podcasts, because he was sort of like a, a tastemaker figure for me. Mm-hmm. My older brother is from my dad's first marriage, so he's way older than I am. He's like 20 years <laughs> older than I am. And so when I was a kid, and like, I'd be hanging out with Chuck, or we'd be, you know, he'd come up with a thing for us to do. A lot of times when we were watching movies, or reading comic books or stuff, he would recommend things to me that he was into when he was in his early 20s and I was a child, you know, because he didn't want to watch kiddie stuff. So a lot of my exposure to like, you know, films and stories and books that are really meaningful to me, I got at a very young age because of Chuck. And so I'm pretty sure he had this on VHS or this was one of like the first DVDs. I think there was like a cool DVD special features. I know I eventually bought it on DVD, but I think Mm -hmm. when I first saw it, this came out in 1998. I was probably like eight years old or nine years old. And my brother showed it to me. And he was a huge uh, comic book fan. You know, he's, he's worked in independent comics himself as a writer. Oh, I don't think I I mean, as a, as a, excuse me, illustrator. Sure. The opposite of a writer. Uh, <laughs> you write with images. Depends on the genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Animation, a, storyboard artists are the writers. Exactly, yeah. And he's an art teacher now. So he's, he's uh-huh. been doing art his whole life. He's great influence. But, like, that was his thing. So he knew about the character of Blade. He knew about the comics and whatnot. And when the movie came out, he was like, this is amazing. Maybe an eight-year-old shouldn't be seeing this movie, but I did, and it was great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it's a long, long been a uh, touchstone for me in terms of my interests and uh, whatnot. What's going on? I just realized I didn't cast someone. It's fine. Keep talking. That's fine. You know, you can. I, I will continue to muse about. No, no, no. I <laughs> will get to that, and I will come up with something on the. I will not come up with something on the fly. That's fine. The thing about Blade is that I think it gets overlooked to a certain degree when people talk about you know the 
like overall ownage that superhero movies have of like the whole media landscape these days. I mean, there are a lot of people who get owned in this movie. It's true, yeah. It's specifically by Blade. And th- this movie Though was... not exclusively. Yeah, a lot of times people talk about like <laughs> What were the seeds of the modern, like, superhero film mm-hmm. revolution? They're always going back to, like, well, you know, Sam Raimi Spider-Man in the first X-Men movie, and that's when we moved from the old Richard Donner and Tim Burton Batman version of superheroes to the more modern day leading up to the MCU version of things. But what people forget a lot is Blade. And I think Blade, because it was it was before X-Men, it was before Spider-Man, you know, 1998, a couple years before either of those were doing anything, thing, and it was no compromises balls-to-the-wall craziness incorporating, you know, that you could put CGI in, like, a mid-budget film at this point, you know? not every, It didn't have to always be a Jurassic Park or something like that. And mm-hmm. you had more flexibility with, you know, Hong Kong-style kung fu and action and whatnot, and that you could have big, big fight scenes and big displays of powers and superhero-dumb and vigilante stuff, and it would be palatable to a mass audience. I mean, people loved this movie. I could absolutely see the roots for... In both the MCU and the DC, and the yet unnamed DCU. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> in Blade. And it's one of those things where I think Marvel took the right lessons and DC took the wrong ones. Sure. For a, for a while. I mean, I think DC is course corrected beautifully at this they're, point. They're doing well recently. Yeah. Like their last three movies, I'm on board with. I like, didn't I didn't realize that you enjoyed Aquaman. I love Aquaman. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I still have not seen it, but that's a separate... A conversation for a separate podcast. But like, if you've been sleeping on Aquaman, like... Find the biggest television you have access to in the darkest room and, like, get in a silly headspace and watch Aquaman. Because it is, I mean, just visually it is mind-blowing, but mm-hmm. if you're willing to get on a silly wavelength, it is so much fun. Anyway. Well, uh, we're also, like, this episode's going to come out in a month. Right. But, like, <laughs> I just saw Shazam. It just came out this weekend, and I just saw it this morning. And it's bright and colorful and fun and amazing yeah. and super... But it's also... Weirdly dark. Yeah. And I can spoil it like hell There's because this it comes out in a movie. Yeah. Someone, like, lots of people get eaten. Yeah. By, like, big scary monsters. And it is, it was a horror director who made that film, right? I don't what know. His name? I'll look him up while you talk. Uh. uh <laughs> but yeah, like, it, and, but you, we take Blade, for example, and it, you have, like, the big action set pieces mm-hmm. and, like, the lore and everything, but the, original but you also kind of have like the dark and oh we're making these things cool now yeah and that's like one of the things that i think dc try to do and they're like that's not why these are fun that's not why people like these it's not because they're quote-unquote cool it's because literally what's billy's brother's name uh freddy freddy literally the reason why freddy likes is like they're just interesting and cool and this and that and i just like talking about them and yeah and that's what we want yeah it's okay for it to be kid stuff yeah And, and but it but it is a genre that's flexible enough that it can like handle a lot of different tones. And I think Blade specifically was one of the first movies where people were like, oh, these could be like blockbuster action movies, not just like goofy, heroic things. And that was a big deal at the time. You know, this was like a year before The Matrix came out even. And it's like... Did you think this inspired the wardrobe in The Matrix? A little bit, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it may have, if it came out a year before, they probably were already in production on The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. But and, it's, it's, know, it's 90s punk grunge you know, long leather trench coats. It was yeah. cool at the time. Whatever. It, uh, <laughs> legitimately. I mean, I we had a whole episode on hackers. Yes, it was. <laughs> yeah. the uh, Shazam, by the way, directed by David Sandberg, who, yes, was known before this for directing Lights Out, a horror film. Ah. Um, which I think was like a horror short before it became a horror film. But like... It's interesting that this is a superhero that's so focused on Lights Up. <laughs> <laughs> electric of, base and he lights things he up. lights things up, yeah. Anyway, so... Fine. 
We don't, I don't think we get to this, like, current day landscape where superheroes are, like, the most profitable, quote-unquote, genre of film with the, like, biggest budgets and the most, you know, um, and, and all of these different avenues of approach where we could have, like, a fun, you know, goofy light time with Shazam or really, like, earnest, uh, iconic Wonder Woman time or, like, these serialized television narratives like the MCU all of these different things all being accepted en masse Mm -hmm. unless we had a movie like Blade that kind of like cracked the code a bit that was like, you know what? This can be dope and it can make a lot of money and it will be badass too. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't want all of my superhero movies to try to be badass, I think it was important that this one showed they could be. Yeah. Plus Blade's cool. Plus Blade's cool. Blade's so cool. He's got a sword. (laughs) And it just now occurs to me and I think that this had been talked about a little bit more and now it's sad that like the whole Daredevil universe on Netflix mm-hmm. as part of like this offshoot of the MCU kind of has gotten shut down. Yeah. Because Blade would have fit in perfectly oh my there. God, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It would have been so like watching Daredevil and Jessica Jones and every, and like Luke Cage and learn like, about vampires and have to deal with that stuff. That's great. I, yeah. That I I want that and I will never have it. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Cuz that that's the perfect place for Blade. Cuz yeah. Blade doesn't if Blade saw people flying through the sky and just, like, punching, like, weird giant robots, he'd be like, nah, I don't fuck with that shit. Yeah, he's got other things on his plate. Yeah. You know? He's <laughs> yeah. he's your friendly neighborhood vampire slayer. Oh, God. Yeah, and of course, look, swords are cool, slaying vampires are cool, and Wesley Snipe is very cool. Wesley Snipes <laughs> is very cool. So, like, all those combinations together, especially when I was, like, 8, 9, and 10, I was like, this is the best movie I've ever of seen. Of course. Like, this is so cool. Well... This and Jurassic Park are the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, this and Jurassic Park and The Princess Bride are the best movies I've ever seen. So, like, I, I think... Zach's previous uh, episode on Ideal Remake was Princess Bride. Look forward to his future episode, which might be Jurassic Park. Who knows? We haven't talked about it, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Anyway, I, I do think that there are still demons to be slayed, and there is still, like, a uh, a potent... Um, metaphor here that is applicable to our times. I think we could have a new blade, and it could really land well if it was if it was done well. If I it agree. was an ideal remake, I think it might. I think it might do really well. But I'm yeah. So then, with that in mind, let's actually talk about the movie because yeah. let's talk about the aspects of Blade that we like, and possibly if if some exist, aspects <laughs> of the movie that we don't like. Sure. Yeah. The first time I saw this movie. Especially because it takes us a little while to actually meet Blade. There's that aspect of me that I'm like slowly trying to figure it out and mm-hmm. follow. And there's this, they literally do the thing that happens in Buffy where it's this dude and this lady, they're going someplace. Oh, let's go make out over here. No, let's go make out over here. <laughs> and then you think it's going to be the dude, but it turns out it's the lady. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. And it's fun. And then they have this like weird blood rave where blood comes out of the sprinkler system. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and that just seems a so wasteful because <laughs> b uh, do they have people hooked up to machines that are just dr- that's a lot of blood it's a lot of blood but like they i'm sure they collected it first and then had like s- special tanks because it only lasts a certain amount of time like the, the rave is going they're having right. fun and then they just turn on the blood for like it's like when the beat was dropping you know right. But the, e- nonetheless, yeah. it's still gallons of blood. Oh, yeah. oh my god! And yeah. like to harvest gallons of blood, people would notice if that many people went missing. <laughs> well, there's also like you know it's an international syndicate of you know vampires that existed forever. Right. But this I'm is sure. the offshoot. 
This is um, Deacon's Deacon, Club. This is Deacon's Club. Yeah. The International Syndicate looks down on what he's doing. They ain't gonna cover that up. No, but like, I mean, they know. might just to like. We're covering this up, but knock this shit out. I feel like stockpiling blood for long enough. You have that many vampires. Like, blood doesn't last. Blood doesn't. Mm, if you they make you, can you freeze blood? I think temporarily, but whenever they, whenever like you give blood, they're like, yeah. it's going to go to someone within the week. Yeah, because it has to be used. In a, yeah, I mean, it's like a perishable. Right. Yeah, it is interesting. A perishable good. Yeah, that is a lot of people. Uh, you know, counterpoint. It looks fucking awesome. Oh, so, it does. Yeah, really cool. I'm all for it. But yeah, that's the the, the beginning right. of Blade. Yeah. <laughs> um, so and, and then Blade shows up and, and kicks ass. Blade shows up and kicks ass, and he kills most of the vampires, but one of them, even though he like burns the crap out of him and sticks him to a wall or whatever, mm-hmm. survives. And when the police raid the area, they take that vampire to the hospital thinking he's a regular person. Right. And then he infects um, Karen. What's her name? Karen. Karen Jensen. Dr. Karen Jensen. The hematologist. Ooh. Yeah. Which was so good. Like... We watched this movie a couple weeks ago, and like we're like, oh, a doctor who specializes in blood. Of course, that's so smart. Yeah. Hey, it's a it's a it's a damsel woman with agency. Yeah, and it and that sh- her unique skill set is what allows them to you know win in the end mm-hmm. and do all these cool things. Like literally, if she was not involved, they would lose. Yeah, totally. And and I thought that was that was really cool that if you're going to have. It didn't feel like there can be that trend where they're like, all right, we got a female character. We want her to be interesting, but we don't want her to be one of these like bad tropes. Yeah. We'll just make her a scientist or she likes science as a personality type. Yeah. Yeah. The men um, in black, uh, uh, principle. Right. Right. And that, like any, you know, commonly used trope that can be done really poorly and ham handedly, or it can be done in a, you know, well integrated way. And what I like about Karen is that like, it's not a substitute for her personality. Right. Like, you you could almost feel, if this stuff hadn't gone down on this one particular day, we still could have watched a movie about Karen, like, living her life and having other stuff to deal with, and she would feel like a, a full person. You know, right. she doesn't take people's crap, and she is, you know, intuitive and interesting and intelligent and all that. And again, her specific skill set works. It's not just we randomly have a, I don't know, science person. It's, they were at a hospital, she's a, you know hematologist who works there mm-hmm. and all of the the threads coincide i like that a lot i agree what i was going to say is that it's this club and everyone's raving out and dancing and one of the things they kind of talk about is they have kind of this boardroom full of uber vampires or whatever yeah but all of the kind of vampires on the street are kind of like coked out dummies sure and i was thinking about it and that made total sense for me in terms of world building yeah because Zach, what's the reason that you personally don't do heroin all the time? Um, <laughs> I don't want to, uh, uh, I'm sure it's a, a fantastic experience. I don't want to ruin my life. Where are you going with this? Well, there's two reasons. Okay. One, it would kill you. Yes, could. And the yeah. second reason is it would mess your body up something bad. I guess, Before sure. doing the first one. Before, yeah. But yeah. if you're a vampire, those two things don't happen. All oh. you get are the positive effects of, hey... That felt great. Yeah. What do you want to do for breakfast? Sure. I mean, because you have the healing, you can't be killed by drugs and and overdoses because yeah, you can only be killed. You literally can only be killed by sunlight and like silver to the heart or whatever it is. Right. Right. And so your sense of risk taking gets shifted a lot. Right. Yeah. So like, there's the one where like, oh well, if you're living forever, why not seek the joy in the moment? And I think that that's 
fine. Like, mm-hmm. we're in a moment where that's fine. Because yeah. like, if you're immortal, do the things that are fun. Yeah. But also, if all of the negative aspects of drug use disappeared, there would be a lot more drug use. Probably. Sure. Yeah. And, for, but for me, I found it super interesting that the vamp, that the vampires were still a little bit off, still felt, even when they weren't necessarily on drugs, it still looked like it was slowly affecting their brain. Yeah. Because it might slip, like, the, the, the vampire that got burned up, uh, Quinn. Yes. He is clearly a druggie. Like, his demeanor and everything, and even, like, when he's coming to and sober and everything, he still has that little bit of, like, oh, this guy's done drugs. Sure. Even yeah. if he's not currently doing them. <laughs> and I find, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and I find it interesting, like, kind of talk about, like, well, okay, if you're always chasing the next, like, how do you keep upping the stakes if you're a vampire? Yeah. What's, like, the super drug? Are they just, like, mainlining arsenic? I don't know. Like, because we see Quinn's, like, physical body withstand things that are, you know, insane. It's almost like a slow motion Wolverine type thing that he's got right. going on. Like, you know, you can cut off his entire arm and after a couple of days it will grow back all weird Deadpool style. Yeah. Or, you know, you can burn him to a crisp and he will eventually be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like there's no traditional abuse of the body, like, frame that that would be an issue for him outside of those normal um, uh, vampire weaknesses. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm sure the vampire drug scene in this universe is uh, outlandish uh, and scary and weird. And, and I think that's interesting. Yeah, it is. It and is. just a weird side note about drugs. The reason why there are <laughs> things that affect the human body and that are po- like caffeine, for example, is a poison that is developed by the coffee, by the coffee plant yeah. because it kills bugs. Right. But we're so much bigger than bugs, and we're able to handle so much more poison. That's why caffeine and coffee and everything, like, we take that in, and it's like, oh, this is amazing, I feel awake. Yeah. So you take that, and then it's the next step up, and it's vampires, and something that would be poisonous to humans, now all of a sudden is, like, coffee to vampires. Right, yeah. So maybe you've got them, like, I don't know, sipping on Drano or something, just to, like, stay awake. <laughs> I mean, I would love it if, like, you're you're dealing with it, and it's just a vampire who's like, yeah, this is uranium. Sure. It messes you up. <laughs> but we'll heal. Yeah. Well, if, if it's not sunlight. If like literally your brain cells could regenerate, like couldn't you do something that was like horrendously damaging to like your actual physical brain tissue right. and then that's what gets you high or something. I don't know. That is an interesting bit of like world I'd never considered that while watching this movie. I just thought it was like you know, raves are a thing and raves are cool. It was yeah. the 90s, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um <laughs> but yeah, I, I, but that's a particular aspect of the world that I'd like to see expanded on because if you're immortal, what else do you do? Yeah, you can either have long term, you can either live for the long term or you can live for the short term. Yeah, and I feel like that would be the divide in vampire kind—the people who are all short term, which are the people in Deacon Frost's rave, yeah, or the people who are living for the long term, which is the the boardroom people, right? The the pure blood vampires, the vampire right. elders, yeah. sure. Um, yeah, because like um, Dragonetti has a whole bit later in the film where he's talking about like that they don't consider Deacon Frost or anybody like him to even be like a full vampire because they were turned from human beings. Mm-hmm. Like a vampire who was born a vampire, that's like yeah. the, the best of the best or whatever. So yeah, I don't Just know. Standard wizard mythology. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry Harry Potter shenanigans. Harry Potter shenanigans. And and again, like, you know, I think this taps into some of that similar appeal. My friend Adam was talking the other day about, like, the fact that the, uh, 
a lot of the location shooting in Blade was done in Manhattan, but a lot of the establishing shots are in Los Angeles. Oh, interesting. Um, that it's like, there's, and obviously there's sets and stuff, like when we have the La Magra demon confrontation at the end or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of the feeling that it has, you have this almost weird disconnect where you're not sure geographically where things are, but it all feels real because our exterior shots are in real locations and our interior shots are mostly in real locations and our, our establishing shots are of real locations that it feels like a, a world that's palpably, palpably real mm-hmm. and that this sort of stuff could exist in it somehow that um, just, you know, if you scratch the surface, this could be underneath there, which I think is part of the appeal of something like Harry Potter is that like the secret, you know, wizarding world, you know, in the muggle world separate from, I mean, Blade even has that line about um, the world you live in is a sugar-coated topping. There's another world beneath it, the uh-huh. real world. And like, I, I think this sort of detail that you picked up on with like the, uh, you know, what is it like to, for, to have drug use with vampires or whatever, that it, it's a world that feels lived in. It's a world that feels, I, I would buy that this type of underground existed. I mean, maybe not this specific one, because sure, sure, it sure. is so late 90s, but, yeah. like, <laughs> but something like this. Uh, maybe maybe vampires are still all living in the late 90s. Maybe I mean, that's... I, like, if you can... I mean, if you're a vampire, you live so long, you can pick an era that appeals to you and stick with it. Yeah, or, like, you know, your cycling of trends doesn't happen seasonally. Maybe it happens every couple of decades. Yeah. You know? So, like, if crop tops are in, they're in for, like, 40 years. Right. Yeah. But it also could very much be, like, well, human seasons are like what they are mm-hmm. and like vampires could just be having their own whole separate fashion <laughs> line and yeah. separate things because like what's in this season of the 90s yeah black next season <laughs> the early 2000s who knows <laughs> sure yeah or at least have it be like weird and scary and what like the 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 silhouette of Blade, I remember being so, like, striking when I saw it. Yeah. Um, it was the first time I saw that sort of, like, tactical semi-military vest thing along with the big... Again, this was before The Matrix, so, you know, sure. the big flowy coat and whatnot. Um, I don't know what the equivalent to that is today of, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, unique style that is immediately iconic or something like that. But maybe vampire style is like I'm that. not aware of one that would fit. Yeah, but I'm sure one, one must exist. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, that, like, that would be... I mean, the thing is, is that, like, that style somewhat has persisted because yeah. there are still people who wear long coats, dress in all black, that sort of thing. And it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's just some people just, they look that, they feel better in that kind of clothing. I went to a Depeche Mode thing, like, uh, last year or whatever. It was a, like, cover band of Depeche Mode or whatever. But, like, there's just, like, full-grown, like, goths. Like, yeah. adult goths. It's there's awesome. A, I haven't been to it yet, but there's a goth club in Hollywood. Yes, yeah. Have yeah. you been? Uh, I don't, I haven't personally been, but our, I think mutual friend told us about it. Oh, I, I may have heard about it from her, but I have another friend who... Re- regardless, like, that, the scene still exists and it has, like, you know permutated in different ways but like yeah. this particular aesthetic is people la- really liked it and lashed mm-hmm. onto it in some sort of way and so i don't know do you do you continue to have that in the new one or do you cr- try to create a whole new framework i just want it to at least be distinct from the <laughs> muggles for yeah. lack of a better term to avoid the uh the the problem with the current harry potter films right where everyone looks the same yeah where like again go look up you know listener at home like pull up a Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Fantastic Beasts, Crimes of Grindelwald, or whatever. Like, uh, don't watch it. Don't by watch all it. Means. No, but like, like Google the yeah. like character posters for that or whatever. Right. 
And you will just see a sea of people all wearing long... Turn of the century. Yeah, just like turn of the century stuff. And they've got like, you know, long gray coats. Everybody's got a long gray coat and, you know, shoes or whatever. And none of the muggles look any different from the wizards. And like... I always thought the whole point of wizarding fashion was that, like, if you saw somebody, they don't know what it, how do you dress? What does yeah. it look like? People in long flowy robes. How does, like, Dumbledore go from wearing a three-piece suit with, like, a vest and a waistcoat and everything, all, like, really slick Jude Law, to, like, Richard Harris in his in, giant in, wizard hat? In his pajamas. In his pajamas. Like, I want the pajama wizards. All the time. I yeah. agree. Yeah. And so then here's my question about vampires. Yeah. Do vampires look like the look like the late nineties because that's what pop, what was popular at the time because they were on the cutting edge of fashion or do the vampires look like that because they define the fashion? Ooh, are they always ahead of the curve or are they just picking and choosing the things they like? Because if you live forever, yeah, why not be like, oh, the humans are dressing like this now? What are yeah. we going to wear so we don't look like these humans? Yeah, and then humans slowly pick up on that. Honestly, it could be it could be both because like I, I think. It's not a a very subtle thread in this film that, like, the, you know, elder vampires represent sort of, like, institutionalized power and whatnot. Big business institutionalized power. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I am sure that for the vampires to be this, like, elite force underground feeding off of people and whatnot, they probably have amassed traditional power as well. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they are in charge of the fashion companies and whatnot, and maybe they are setting the trends and living by them and whatnot. Um, I just want things to look really cool. That's, and I don't know enough about fashion to like describe how to do that. Maybe our friend Sarah might. I mean, honestly. Yeah. um, But, but that's, that's a thing because it's a thing I think about a lot when we talk about remakes, which is that if you are going to do the thing again, it, you can't literally just do the thing again. Right. It, you need to find the essence of the thing and then see how that applies to modern day. Right, exactly. That, like, a, a remake of X film has to land the way that that film did. That's the important thing. Right. So if we just have them look... If we just had Blade look exactly the way he looks, I mean, sure, it would be cool. I think he still looks cool. I think yeah. the late 90s aesthetic is still dope. But my hope would be you could come up with something where when he shows up in the film and s- strikes an interesting silhouette that immediately whatever equivalent of me at eight years old is seeing that for the first time in the modern day is like whoa that's awesome i've never seen that before yeah that feels like a successful remake to me i agree with that yeah fashion yeah (laughs) i wish i knew more about it but also (laughs) i trust that people will let me know yeah um so i mean we kind of went off of our uh plot summary of the original blade but like there'll be a mini episode people either watch the movie or they've seen the movie i don't think we need to give a plot synopsis right just like kind of point by point but like to your point of how do we figure out the way it applies today yeah i mean from deacon frost perspective there is a in his case 12 (laughs) but there's a group of old people who are slowly turning to dust and they're making the decisions about everyone else around them yeah i don't know how that could possibly apply to us and um What if there were seven of them? Yeah. One of them's great. And then, like, the rest, you're like, wow. And and there's one one who's great, a couple that are good, and the rest that are just... Like, let's say something was going to come out about a conflict of interest. So one of them was like, hey, let this other vampire come in. Everyone agrees he's terrible, but we want him. (laughs) Because he's going to advance our specific vampire interests better than... mm, mm. But the important thing is, is that it's 
old people who have no concepts and knowledge of the future that young people, hey, might want to stay alive. Yeah. And yeah. not be destroyed by the world. Yeah. That's, like, literally. That feels prescient. Yeah. Literally, these poor vampires, 50% of the day, they go outside, they get killed. Yeah. Don't you want to be in a world that is a little bit more environmentally conscious of us? Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't we. Want some of as what young that, vampires, don't we want some of what that daywalker's got. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's a multi layered. None of this stuff is uh, subtle, I guess, um, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. It's you know? not it. It's not subtle if you're paying it if you want to be paying attention, right? If you want to be paying attention, like if my, you don't want to be, it, then it's just ah, yeah, vampires are sweet. Yeah, uh, my friend Alec, he goes by Vice Victus on Twitter and writing and whatnot. He had a really great piece about Blade that I don't even want to try to touch on too much because he says everything way better than I can. Well, what's the name um, of the article and people can look it up? Uh, the Cutting Edge of Cool, I think it's called. I will look it up to make sure I know what it's called. It's not called The Biting Edge of Cool? No, because Cutting Edge, because Blade... Oh, because he has a sword. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing a vampire thing, but he has a sword. It makes more sense your way. Yeah, yeah His fine. way, whatever. Uh, the Bleeding Edge of Cinema is what it's called. Blade, ah. The Leading Edge of Cinema. It's on Loot and Bus. Um, but he, he mentioned that there is a vibe to Blade, you know... That's obviously referencing like old black exploitation films and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, one of the key aspects of black exploitation is like having, you know, having a guy fight against the man. Like that's it doesn't it won't have a feel if it's not there basically. And so that's not a subtle thing to have like all of the like evil vampires be like old crusty white people, and then like our hero be like a black guy kicking ass. But that's still potent stuff. Absolutely, it doesn't have to be. You know, subtle or, you know, I, sometimes when you're subtle, people don't even know what you're doing, you know? Like, Starship Troopers made sequels and people didn't, because people didn't get it. Yeah, there are sequels to Starship Troopers that are just like, you know what's being great? Being a Starship Trooper. Like, I love this society. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it, it's a tricky thing. So if, if, if every people are talking about, like, there's, it's a little simplistic, the messaging in Blade, a simple message done well? I think it's still super potent. Absolutely. Yeah. And plus you get to see vampires fight and it's great. Plus you get to see vampires fight and it's awesome. So for the vampires in our movie, I still think that metaphor applies. Yes. And I still think that's something that we should have because, I mean, it fits the movie. It makes this a little bit easier. Yeah. And I think we just need to kind of come up with, all right, well, this is a movie that came out in the late 90s. How does Blade deal with technology? Yeah. And and again, like, those threads were already there. Like... There's that whole aspect where in order to summon the Lamagra demon, they have to, like, translate these old, like, texts, these old right. vampire texts that are can't be translated. Like, uh, Udo Kier is really pissed about it. And um, Deacon uses, uh, like, a brute force approach with, um, like, an algorithm on a computer to right. finally do it. And none of the vampire elders thought that could be done. No. So Dragon Knight is like, you couldn't possibly understand this. Yeah. So I think Deacon has to be, like, a, a millennial up-and-comer guy. He has to be. Because the other thing is like, oh, well, I found these ancient vampire texts. It's basically their Bible. Yeah. I'm going to destroy them. Because it made no sense to me when we were watching the movie that, like, these other vampires wouldn't be like, this is our Bible. We cannot harm this. Yeah. And I just wanted Blade to be like, all right, I'm going to torch this place. Yeah. And then, like, we get get to Deacon in the next scene is like, not a digitized... Right, that it it could be like a a, a false victory or something. Yeah. Like, oh, I finally got the... He's like, like, man, I got hard drives on hard drives on hard drives here. Like, Like, do do you think I don't have redundancy? (laughs) Bro, I can pull pull the whole text up on my watch. Yeah. Um, I have... 
I ha- should we get into some of our like ideas on casting at this I, point? I always do casting last because okay, I kind of want to do like plot and like figure out where we're okay. going. So I'm just going to put a pin on the fact that like when we talk about the elder vampires, I have <laughs> just a funny a funny idea. Oh, I'm um, excited about all of it. Okay, but so- let's talk about Deacon. Yeah, because this will affect casting a little bit as well. One of the things that I thought was super interesting, and they don't get into until like the second half of the third act, mm-hmm. is that like Deacon's been banging blade's mom and he's the vampire that bit her yeah and i'm like okay where was that the rest of the movie (laughs) so if i'm gonna be completely honest i combined deacon frost and blade's mom oh you did yeah i'm not familiar with like the the lore the comic book whatever but for me she would she's a new vampire Mm -hmm. and like immediately she's a new vampire it's like oh i've done all this crazy stuff Mm -hmm. like i like now that i'm a vampire i totally get the and i'm like okay yeah but, like, for me, A, let's get more women in here, and B, I find it more compelling if the thing that he's been searching for is also actively the thing he's been fighting against. I think that's still there in the original text. I think I, I, I think it is, too. I just want to bring it a little bit more to the surface. I think it's interesting. I think it's an interesting point. I, I just, I don't want to mess too much with the fact that Deacon is, you know, a new... Uh, generation of vampire but he's still part of the same oppressive power structure and i don't know if that reads the same way if it's a black woman you know i I don't disagree you're you're right yeah because part of part of the reason is that it's like oh well women are have never been elder vampires right right and so because i kind of like we're, we're never on deacon's side really yes but i kind of would like it if we were and he's an interesting character uh i let me throw this your way. He wasn't just so darn 90s. Here's the thought I had. Please. I thought we should have Whistler be a black woman instead of a crusty old white. I'm okay with all of those things. <laughs> because when we were watching this movie originally, Zach and I both kind of turned to each other and were like, well, at this, we would just recast this as Jeff Bridges. Yeah. It's clearly Jeff Bridges. <laughs> but because we're making this stay within an MCU universe... For my Whistler, I literally wrote Jeff Bridges and then crossed it out and put my actual cast like, in next to Jeff We can't have Jeff Bridges. Right. Because my thought was, so part, part, like, part of the, the story of Blade is, you know, he is the way he is because his, when he, his mother was pregnant with him, she was bitten and attacked by a vampire. And so, like, the, she, he was all, and, and then he was you know, born and thought she died immediately. But the mm-hmm. mix of, like, human and vampire DNA is, like, why... I don't even know how the vampirism works, really. Right. But that's why he's the daywalker, that he can he can withstand sunlight without burning up. Um, he doesn't have the, like, aging immortality that the vampires do, but he has most of their strengths and whatnot. But he's not he doesn't have weakness to garlic and things like that. That's why he's uniquely suited to be a, you know, slayer of vampires and whatnot. Right. Um, and that he loses his mom and then finds her at the end. I think there's, like, weird thematic stuff there that I don't know enough about to want to erase from the the picture there stuff I agree. with like you know i mean it's, it's a hard r movie mm-hmm. um i guess an mc1 mcu one could wouldn't be, that. be hard R. yeah yeah on the same note though we also deal with a couple of different things mm-hmm. one deacon kind of encourage his minions to not kill blade because it turns out he needs blade yeah, he needs it for the magic. Right, yeah. but we don't know how recently this thing was translated. He didn't necessarily know that he needed Blade. Yeah. And I find it interesting if, well, I mean, I guess technically that's my son. I don't want my son to die. So, like, <laughs> like protecting it, and then as soon as it turns out that Blade is useful in this other context, oh, 
Eh, forget that. You come over here and stand in this uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, now we need... Like, I was keeping you alive because you're my kid, but, like, now I need you for something. Get in the hole. Get in the hole. Yeah. I don't know. It. We can have a conversation, because we we'll see what happens with, yeah, co- we'll with casting. With but, casting. like... Yeah, that's but interesting. I, I feel like there's got to be more of a reason to keep Blade alive, mm-hmm. other than just, well, he's neat. <laughs> <laughs> he's very neat. We need him. Well, or involve the mother sooner, even if Blade doesn't know about it. Yeah, because we yeah. have... There were two characters like that could have been the random platinum blonde lady who has been in the movie the whole time and I all of a sudden is at the end didn't because even bother women her. fight women or something. Yeah, she's like a scary blonde vampire. I don't know. Yeah, because yeah. I, I thought she should... like You have your main villains who are on your side, the people who are like, here's our plan, here's what we're going to do. Yeah. Because if you're just lone wolfing it... It's not. You're a vampire. They they fly in... I don't know what a group of bats is called. I don't know. Flock? <laughs> that seems wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I have a whole list of, like, interesting <laughs> birds, but bats aren't birds. What would be a group of bats? But I know you're looking it up, but what, could, what's your best guess? Oh, a, a group of bats is... Uh, all right, let's see. A constitution of bats. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I'm going to say a reverberation of bats. That's good. That's good. Because of the echolocation. Of the echolo- that's cool. Yeah. Or a uh, um, a nightmare of bats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? Collective noun. Collective noun. Let's see. Bat collective noun is apparently a colony or a cloud. A cloud, a cloud is cloud really good. That's nah, cool. All right. All right. You got you got me already. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it is a movie where the the themes are interesting and the, the commentary is, is clear. Mm-hmm. So that is hard to mess with. But the interpersonal relationships can be adjusted in different ways. Absolutely. And so that's that's where I'm I'm feeling it now. Because as as it's structured, and it's a very functional script as it has originally, it's a lot of like we have these coincidences that happen where a person gets caught up in this world and luckily they're very helpful to it. But a lot of the structure of the early film is Karen learning about the vampire world so that we can mm-hmm. as well. And that, that works fine. Yeah. That, and I, and I think that's well. important. Um, uh, after having watched Shazam this morning, we were talking about how like all of the DC movies that have worked have been origin stories. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. Because you can't get people to trust a character unless they're introduced to the character. You can't just go, there he is. Yeah. Yeah. We all like him, right? Get, uh, money. Yeah. Which is now please, which again, you can, every Film has to introduce their characters in of some course. way. It doesn't have to be their literal origin. But is she with you? Right. Like, that is... What is that? <laughs> uh, she was with you. Uh, um, <laughs> but then, you know, Wonder Woman was great. So, right. Yeah. It's her origin story. Yeah. Um, uh, so Karen, I think the order she's introduced to stuff, or when we mm-hmm. cut back from her journey learning about vampires, I think you're right that there's room in there where we could deal with Deacon's motivations and or the mother stuff mm-hmm. earlier in the film. So it's not just held off. To well, I find Karen super interesting and I would have liked to have spent more time with her because it's kind of a, her arc is somewhat more alluded to than actually present mm-hmm. in the sense that it's like she kind of starts as a nice person. But like as she's slowly turning to a vampire, she's becoming more and more mean, more cruel. Yeah. Just with the way she tortures Pearl, for example. That's kind of like the the, the big indicator. Yeah. But I would love to see more with that of like realizing that she's going, like realizing that it's happening to her. Yeah. And realizing that she's sitting in more desperation in finding this cure. Yeah. And. Because it's almost treated as like, 
Well, yeah, that's got to happen, so it's happening. Yeah. Um, like, all of the... We all, all know the, it's going to happen. The setup is there, the execution is there, but it's not, like... I, I don't think it's given much uh, drama. Right. Yeah, for lack of a better term. So, yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good change, too. And to. I... Part of the reason why I want Deacon to kind of have, like, a more close relationship with his or her people is because their ultimate plan is to replace the board of vampire directors. Yeah, the elders. Or right. Yeah. Deacon can't do everything on their own. They like that person needs a close community. So be it. I picked Mercury. I assume that was her name. There was someone else that it could have been. I, I don't know. know. Dude, I it doesn't know. matter. <laughs> so I'm going to call her Mercury. Yeah. Uh, Mercury Quinn and if we include Blade's mom as an additional other person, just because these are the people who don't come, who are the long term planners but still enjoy the short term thing. Sure. Yeah. Because like that's. Because I do think it's the dichotomy and the split between vampire kind. The short-term people and the long-term people. That's good. I, I'm i trying to keep as much as I can the, uh, like, through line from how, like, white supremacy in all of its forms is, like, uh, an evil that needs to be fought and how it, like, manifests in gross ways. And so where I was leaning with story-wise was having Deacon be more of, like, a, you know, Kind of like an alt-right uh, figurehead type of person. Interesting. So, like, so, you know, that he connects to people and, like, gets like loyal. What do you Like, the board of directors are old-school Republicans and Deacon's a proud boy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that, like, we have this, like, one little bit that's, like, hinted to twice in the original film about, um, like, familiars. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, Regular human beings who are branded by certain vampires that, like, maybe eventually if they're... There's so much lore in this movie that they kind of just accept and move on. Which is cool. Right. Like, the the familiars, the weird mm. zombie dude at the end. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, this is a thing that happens. Yeah. Well, I'm, we got places to be, though, so yeah. let's go. And so... And, but keep going, I'm sorry. So the idea that, like, he could get a groundswell of support, not just from, like, siring his own vampires and getting stuff like that together, but that he could also, you know, s- spread like online theories and stuff like that to get loyal human followers and stuff like that. Like the way that's that, really good. I thought, I thought that would be like a cool thing. I don't know how well that tracks if it's no, not. No, I think that tracks because especially yeah. because I think technology needs to be more present. Yeah. Because especially like, look, you can look down and disdain, look down on humans and disdain humans, but at the end of the day, humans come up with some cool shit. They really do. And yeah. you should be able to say, yeah, but that's cool. I'm going to use that. I'm not just going to shun it because a human made it up. Right. That like uh, humans can create amazing things that can be used to either liberate people. Like, you know, maybe they are our livestock, both in food and in technology. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, look at this. They they serve us. This is a handy dandy thing they made. Yeah. The internet. Yeah. I don't know. That's because so much of my life is dealing with online stuff and whatnot. I think, (laughs) I just think the idea of the internet being uh, dangerous as well as helpful is, you know, there's fertile ground there. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Huh. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm on your side. I think that that's interesting, and I think that's a good parallel to draw. Dope. Dope. Okay. And, but because I'm not, I wasn't as inventive with the rest of the story, that the, it's still a means to the end of raising La Magra well, to, to destroy the rest of the, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, because it's... You purge the people who are not worthy. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, I didn't like the idea of Lamagra because I'm like, you're killing all of your food. <laughs> Can't do that. For me, Lamagra is more interesting just because if he is the unanswerable powerhouse, the the ultimate figurehead, yeah. everyone will do what he says. 
Yeah, it's like Ubermensch stuff. Yeah, Ubermensch yeah. stuff. Yeah. You don't wipe out the unbelievers. You force you either forcibly convert them or you subjugate them. Yes. And Lamagro would give him the power to subjugate. Okay, yeah. Like so if, I, he's, if he's physically the most powerful creature on Earth, then he can do whatever right. he wants. Yeah. Like, and literally, I could, could even be that moment where, like, Deacon, like, curls his hand and any vampires that are left alive, like, for, like he can control them. Oh. Like, if it, it gives him power over blood. Oh, okay. Yeah, because if, all right. Because it's, it's all about blood with this guy, right? Yeah. And so he can control everything, and just the only reason that he can't control... Literally, I'd be okay with him being able to control all vampires and then controlling all people as long as they're not in the sun. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Some Ultron shit. That's... Yeah. <laughs> and, like, so everyone else is in the shadows, but, like, something gets broken and, like, Blade tries to take him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, he gets hit, like, Lamaga gets hit by sunlight, which is literally the reason he was doing this, because he wanted to, like, live in the sun. And he's fine. Yeah. And he just walks around and goes and takes over everyone else. And then, like, Blade is in the sun for whatever reason. Yeah. Like, battle, that's where he ends up. And then Lamago tries to control him, and literally... The part of Blade that's in the shadows gets controlled, but then, like, in the sun, Blade's okay. So he had this moment where I finally have this thing I want, but I don't have it completely. Yeah. So I I have all this power, but I only have this power in the darkness. And I and I don't have it where where it counts, where I'm where I'm envious, where all my jealousy is, Mm -hmm. which is (laughs) this black guy is so cool. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so you literally have like this black guy, like beam of light okay cool yeah and then he does the thing and kills the magra because all of a sudden the magra's like no i thought i had everything yeah and then that's like he has this moment of weakness and that's how blade kills that's, him yeah that's good because i think it's still then the um uh, like the the sunblock scenes have even more yeah like uh meaning if that's where we're headed i like he's a vampire like he started as human he might have really liked sunbathing being yeah. in the sun yeah something and like that just got taken from him. Yeah. And that's just the thing he wants so much. Plus, it's such a great villain scene. Like, I, I think the the confrontation where, like... Where like, he has, like, the little girl. Deacon has the little girl, and he's, like, threatening to kill her ever just so that he can, like, talk to Blade in the sunlight. And yeah. And back and forth. I think it's just a great villain moment. Mm-hmm. And so to have that actually have, like, meaning that pays off later. I yeah. think it's cool. And the way he even kills Dragonetti is, like... Yeah! And it just... I feel like he'd be, like... I, I wanted it to be more like, you're lucky. You get to enjoy the sun for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And then it puts on the thing. That's cool. Okay, I like it. Okay, so our update now, overall, would be technology helping the um, the, the young movement overtake the old yeah. um, type of thing. Because the young can adapt. Because the young can adapt. And he's got this, you know, toxic groundswell of support that he gets from, you know, his online alt-right shenanigans. And they, they're literally self-tattooing with his mark. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, that's basically what it is. It's a tattoo, and mm-hmm. tattoos are very popular now. They sure are. And you yeah. want to prove loyalty to a community, oftentimes oh you get God. a tattoo of that community. There was this whole thing I was reading about the other day, which is this trend with, um, like, SoundCloud rappers and stuff now. Uh-huh. Which is, um, because <laughs> a lot of the, like, proliferation of your, your music happens through, um, like, Instagram and stuff these days. That's how you gain like followers and mentions and whatnot. That there's a trend among SoundCloud rappers, you know, people who don't have, you know, uh, major label support and whatnot, is that they get tattoos on their face. 
because when you are doing selfies and stuff on Instagram, your literal face is part of your brand. Right. And if it becomes distinct in some specific way, then, you know, that brand carries itself, you know, through all the other different aspects of communication. So that, like, it's more important to have a visual connotation to your thing that you're building, even if it's an audio thing because yeah. you're going to be on a visual platform. Oh, so, that's super fascinating. Yeah, and it's like, it's people who don't even like tattoos really or aren't like interested in them aesthetically, but it's helpful to their goal. So they get these tattoos. And yeah. then there's people who are fans of the SoundCloud rappers who get the same, the tattoo. same tattoo on their face even though they're not trying to do the same thing. And it's it, like... That's wild. Yeah. So that, I mean, there's precedent. Like, yeah. that's totally there. Um, Good, I like that. I like that. And then, uh, <laughs> but the Lamagra has an actual, you know, uh, functional purpose beyond just the destruction. Right. Okay. Okay. I think that all fits. I mean, because overall, we like the basic structure of Blade. We yeah. like we like Blade and Whistler coming together using technology to... to defend humanity defeat vampires yeah. because good versus evil that's what's cool we like karen we like the hematologist we like kind of we like her arc and want more of it yeah i like all the stuff with like the serum and yeah like... i i think that's amazing because yeah. it's a contribution and literally you can't win without that yeah because it's you need the new technology in order to defeat the old and it's all of this new technology that that uh deacon's using to bring about an ancient prophecy so how do you defeat the ancient prophecy? With new technology. That's cool! Because, okay. like, at the end of the day, he's still relying too much on this old traditional, old traditional values, going back to the way <laughs> things used to be, instead of looking forward and making a better world for everybody. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. All right. Cool. All right. Let's talk about casting. Let's talk about casting. All right. Whew. So do we start with Blade, or do we end with Blade? I don't know. Well, maybe let's start with Blade. Yeah. Um... I have a sort of traditional thought, R.E. Blade, All which right. was, I'm not going to lie, a few years ago I saw the original uh, theatrical version of Dear White People before it was in a Netflix series. Okay. And uh, one of the actors on it, Mark K. Richardson, I thought he was like so dynamic and interesting and um, really cool. And then a couple years later when it got picked up to be a Netflix series and then they like, you know, had proper funding behind it and whatnot, some of the actors from the the theatrical version came back. Some of them didn't. But uh, Mark A. Richardson still did come back. Spelled Mark A. It's M-A-R-Q-U-E. I hope I'm saying it right. It could just be Mark and spelled in a cool way. All possible. All possible. And he plays a character called Reggie on that, who is, I think, a really interesting take on, like, modern masculinity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, he's kind of a villain for a certain part of the season, and then you learn more about him. And um, the... The long story short is there's a particular episode that Barry Jenkins directed of Dear White People that is focused on Reggie and a thing that happens to him at a party. And it is, it's one of the best performances I've seen uh, in a TV show. I just, I think Interesting. Mark K. Richardson is amazing. And I, you know, he's around, but he's not doing huge stuff after that. And after seeing him in that, I, a thing I thought just absentmindedly in the theater the first time I saw him on screen was like, that, that guy would make a good blade. <laughs> like, I just thought it, and then it's been in my head for years that he's Plus, still... I think he's been a vampire before. He has? Well, he was on True oh, Blood. He was on True Blood. I don't know if his character's a vampire. His name is Kenneth. I, there's, I, there's so many things about True Blood I don't remember. I definitely don't remember. He was name. on a thing with vampires. He was on a thing with vampires before, so he's familiar with the stuff. Um, cool, like, I like him. You can see, like, stuff, there's oh, a, yeah. that his character Reggie wears this, like, one jacket, and I was like, oh, man, like, that's Blade. 
that's cool. So that's my <laughs> top choice for Blade. What do you? My think? choice for Blade is an actor named Jason Mitchell. Jason Mitchell, not familiar. Let's find out. You have seen him before. He was in Straight Outta Compton. Hmm. He's in Mudbound, and he's in Kong Skull Island. Oh, is he the main guy in Mudbound? I think so. I'm oh, not man. positive. All right, say his name again. I'm looking him up. Uh, Jason Mitchell. Awesome. Look him up at home as well, viewers. Yeah. Oh, he's really great. Yeah. And because he was Easy E in Straight Outta Compton. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. I just like this idea because I like the idea of a blade who's a little bit more current, mm. who kind of like it would like if you're you know if we're looking for someone who dresses on the cutting edge of whatever a vampire would wear and is going to cut an interesting look, yeah, like literally, I feel like this guy be able to do it as I. Well, that's not a good example of him standing next to the guy playing Superfly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, he's great. Um, and both of these guys are around 32, 33 years yeah. old. Yeah. Which is similar. Wesley Snaps was like 36 when they made the first one, but... It's just the right age to look ageless. Yeah, just the right age to look ageless. I mean, and... speaking of someone who's in their early 30s, this is as good as I'm ever going to look. <laughs> Let's preserve you in amber right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and again, you know, early 30s is like core millennial age. Yeah. That's like the the center, I think, of our mm-hmm. whole thing. Because like, I think millennials go up to like 30, 38-ish and down mid to, to late like, 30s. Yeah, mid to late 30s and then down to like early 20s at this point. Right. Um, that like, if it is a like a millennial feel type story, I think that's a good age range for both of these guys. Mm-hmm. So either one of them. They're both really great. Like, yeah. Like, honestly, I think they both would be awesome. Yeah. Honestly, let's move on and see who gets more, and then we'll go with the other person. All right, thing. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. So, what do we want to do for Deacon Frost? Because I like your idea of having like Proud Boys, in which case, your idea for Deacon Frost is who we'll go with because we'll have to go with my person for Blade's mom. Yeah. Um, well, here's the thing because I, 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 I had that idea about the Proud Boys thing, and then I was wondering. I was wondering if my pick would still fly with that, which was. Oh, interesting. Okay. So. And I and again, I would want there to be you know a a good director and writer who are m- even more educated on this stuff than I am. Absolutely, people who know what like the unique pressures and skill set, and like what do you want out of? This I'm very sort of excited fantasy. to tell you about my writer. Yeah, good. I'm looking forward to it because a thought I'm having that I'm like I think I would need to talk like with somebody who had more direct experience here is. Would it still work with like a uh, person of color as Deacon rather than a uh, a white guy? Which was that there is that tension that exists between the vampire elders who are the like old and encrusted, and sure. then the younger ones. Where even if you're trying to prove yourself to us, we don't consider you a pure blood yeah. version. You know, so go ahead and throw all those other other people under the bus and try to prove yourself as much as you can. We still won't consider you X because you are why and so i was thinking we because could, of the way you were born right so like maybe having like an asian american actor there or something there where okay. there is that tension of like you know racial discrimination isn't only in its like most harshest forms there's also like you know you're being set up as the model minority type sure. of uh, things like that that like and at this point we we're aware that the the board of directors for vampires wasn't exclusively white. Right, yeah. However, yeah. the metaphor that it... The and, and our, Ours would not be either. Yeah. Because there's going to be either... either nothing, nothing... 
nothing's ever black and white. There's always going to be people on one side or the other. This right, the right, other. yeah. And and even if we are sticking like with parallels to real world stuff, like you know, Proud Boys leading up into more traditional like right. you know white supremacy, there are plenty of I don't want to say tokenized, but like figureheads that are you know. Oh, here's POC that like, look, this one's gay and he still likes, you know, there's you know, a, there's like a, Milo Yiannopoulos and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and there's a big uh, right wing spokesperson who's a black woman and I don't remember her name, but oh. it's always one of those things where you're like listening to her and you're like, you believe these things? You're right. literally saying things that demean yourself. Right. Because, because again, like there's, there's rewards in place under white supremacy for people who are willing to throw other people under the bus. Absolutely. So, Because th- at the end of the day, it's all about greed and power. And yeah. if you're someone who wants greed and power, you will do whatever it takes to get things that you... Since you believe you are entitled to everything, yeah. you will throw everything else away in order to get more and more and more. Right, exactly. So my my tentative Deacon Frost was Stephen Yen um, from The Walking Dead and from Sorry to Bother You recently. Um, I think he's a great actor and he has this like this interesting like malevolent like cool sexy edge to him which i think is part of deacon frost it's uh y-e-u-n like oh there he is i think about that bit where deacon frost like steven dorf in the original film like it's an interesting fascinating performance but the bit where he's I, like we're top of the fucking food chain i i think like steven yen could do that i think he could pull it off but I don't know. Can we talk about how I would love to just have a weird moment where he says we're the top of the fucking food chain and then like they keep all these weird pets or something and a vampire gets eaten by a lion or something (laughs) and then later busts out of the lion (laughs) because they can't be killed by a lion. lion. Yeah. (laughs) Like tears him open from the inside out. You look what you made me do. (laughs) I don't know if that would fit in the MCU, but that is be a weird thing. Yeah. Yeah. It just just like it just occurred to me cuz like yeah cuz nothing else can kill them. They yeah. have to be the top of the food chain. They have to be the top of the food chain. Um my uh my backup but I don't think the age thing works quite as well was uh Nikolai Coulter-Waldo from um Game of Thrones, Jamie okay. Lannister. All right. Um but like Yeah, he's a good generic. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of fits more with the person I cast for Dragonetti. Okay. Because, I mean, the people in the boardroom were all super old. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're immortal. I don't, don't you know, age. have to be super, super old. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think, I think you're right. I, I think I cast someone in his, in, in his he 40s. He would sit well as like a vampire elder yeah. that is, you know, having the whole thing. So, I don't know. That's where I was, but it's, again, I'm not. I'd be more tempted to go with Steven Yen just because I think it's interesting casting. Yeah. And because I think he's cool. He is very cool. All right. Onward and upward. So now let's, let's talk about Blade's mom. Yes. Yeah. For me, because I I cast someone who I think could function both as the charismatic evil leader, and mm-hmm. so could be likable, yeah, while also having the acting chops to kind of turn and go, this is what I'm about, yeah. And um, so I wanted to cast Zazie Beats. Zazie Beats, that's fun because okay, okay. It's, it's unexpected. Because I, if you're introduced to her in such a way that you're like, oh no, I'm on your side, and then she just does something, and you're like, oh man. Because I want us to start on her side, and then I want her to lose us as an audience. But some people she keeps. Right, right. Because she's super charismatic and compelling. Very charming. And I would believe things she says. That's legit. We already know that she's an action star, and she's not yet really in the MCU. Yeah, I mean, she's in Deadpool, but... She's in Deadpool, but that's... Deadpool 2. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Interesting. And so she's just 
that's separate. So we already know that, that she can kind of function with that language in terms of like action and combat and violence. Yeah. And also be charismatic and compelling. I dig it. I dig it. Um, for Blade's mom, I picked uh, Naomi Harris. Okay. Um, and because uh, one of the things is, I think if we're adapting something to MCU, we are going to get like some some nitpickers. I know like Blade sure. is a cultural force is fairly distinctly American, and we both picked like American actors to play him. Right. But in the comics, he's British. Is he? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so, huh? Originally. So I thought maybe if his mom is British, that might at least like interesting have <laughs> calmed down some of the comic book actually folks. Oh, I don't care about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it would the way that like oh, it's, it's a cute little reference. Good yeah. One. Yeah. Um, I also just really like Naomi Harris. Like, I mean, I think she's super cool. <laughs> I I've seen her in stuff and she's great. Yeah. Um, because I mean, she was in you know she was Eve in Skyfall and way back in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies she was around as that um, she I'm, was in Moonlight it's Paula I'm going to suggest we stick with Zazie Beats so that for, we can have that contrast thing yes yeah. but also at the very end of the movie when uh, uh, Blade's mom is tying her in like tying her tying him into like the weird Iron Maiden thing yeah and you have this weird sexual Oedipal thing it's very it's Greek. super gross and weird <laughs> yeah yeah that kind of works if they're the same age. Yeah. If not, she's younger. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, we're vampires. We live forever. Human rules don't apply to us. Right, right. Yeah. And, and so, the, and that, the, and it's one of those things where, you, like, someone in the audience would be like, well, they'd, they'd be cute together. Yeah, I mean, and again, like, Naomi Harris is not that old. Uh, she's not. Like, she's 42. She's like, yeah. She's like eight years eight older. Eight years older than them. But maybe. That, but the weirdness would get. Racked up if they're all in the right. same sort of age bracket. Okay. I like Zazzy. Let's right, go with that. Cool. She's cool. So then our whistlers are going to be very, very different. So let me tell you about my whistler, who's a bit of a one for one. Uh-huh. Because, well, I couldn't do Jeff Bridges. No one can. Yeah. So I did uh, Peter Stormare. Oh, legit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I love him. Yeah, he's great. And I just... The kind of concept of, like, this old world guy who's applying his old world knowledge to help the, the youngin get it together. And just dry and bitter and angry. Literally, an like, an old mean guy with a heart of gold. That's fun. Yeah. Did you and, see Constantine? Did you watch Constantine together? The movie? The movie. I've never seen it. Oh, you haven't seen Constantine? I should. I would, I would watch Constantine. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Peter Stormare uh, plays the devil in that. And it's oh, one of my great. favorite performances. Well, I yeah. know him most recently from American Gods. Oh, okay. I haven't watched where it Where he... Uh, you should watch it. Okay. Uh, he plays... I'm looking it up because I want to make sure I pronounce this right. That's all right. Um, but, you know, if, if you guys aren't familiar with Peter Stormare, seek him out. He's a Swedish actor. He's, you know, uh, very interesting. Because that's the other thing. Like, yeah. he pulls from, like, some of the old... Like, Norse feelings of, like... Yeah, yeah. like, old world vampires. Yeah. Where is it? Because they, they had to... His name in American Gods... Is Chernabog. Oh, <laughs> he's literally a guy. He's basically like a Thor equivalent. Cool. He's not Thor. Yeah, but like he's literally just a guy with a giant hammer. That's hilarious. I love it. It's great. That's fun. That's fun. Okay, I like that. Sort of a um, Watchers Council esque vibe. Yeah, to him. yeah. Um, mine was <laughs> Octavia Spencer. She'd be great. I mean, like that would be cool as so. hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen her play a character that's, like, technical know-how, but I've definitely seen her play a character that's bitter and angry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, I was thinking about it because 
I don't know what I was watching recently, but there was a trailer for Ma in front of it. Have you seen the trailers for Ma yet? A horror no. film with Octavia Spencer. But no. like, I, I, it was just that thought of like, I love that Octavia Spencer is like this super acclaimed, amazing actress who can destroy in any drama role you throw at her. And she actively seeks out interesting, strange, like genre stuff like yeah. Snowpiercer and this Ma movie because it gives her more to do. Like there's actually like cool weird stuff she can do with performance and whatnot. And I just, I, I love the idea of her being the... She's also a good marker that a movie will be good. Right, yeah. Octavia Spencer's <laughs> in the movie. Like, there are a lot of people who, like, go back and forth between good doing good movies and bad movies. But Octavia mm-hmm. Spencer's almost exclusively in movies that are at least compelling and interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it would help us bump up our female count in the movie. True. Yeah. That's good enough reason for me. All right. I love Peter Stormare, but... Oh my God. Yeah. He'd be so cool. But well, let's put him in the vampire council or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've got to keep, we've got to keep Peter Stormare. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's do Karen and then okay. I'll tell you about the person I forgot. Okay, cool. So I went first to the last one. You go first for this one. Uh, so I had a couple Karen options, Dr. Karen Jensen. And a lot of these were, I was trying to match her age wise with our, um, sure. with our blade. Not that... Again, not that any, like, romantic couple in a film has to be the same age, uh, but that because we have this generational thing um, in, in the script, I thought it would be good. So, at any rate, uh, choice me- number one was Megan Good, uh, who <laughs> you might have seen this morning in Shazam. Oh, uh, yeah. She plays the adult... The, the, the adult version, version of the Darla. little girl. Yeah. Um, and she's obviously great. She's and great. Super fun and delightful. Super fun and delightful. Like I was like I was watching this movie. I was like, oh, I'm going to use her for something in the future because she's just delightful. She is so delightful. She's easy to fall in love with and whatnot. Um, so that's good. Uh, I I had another thought which was a little um, left to center, and then I thought I might want to ease back of it, which was Vela Lovell, who is uh, probably most well known from uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. I just think she's amazing, and I want her in everything. Um, but. The more I thought about it, the more I was thinking, as much as I want to put, like, more Desi representation in anything and everything, and how she's, like, one of my favorite actors, period, I I feel like if you're making Blade, you don't want to, like, take away a black woman role. Yeah. Like, is that... I mean, I don't want to sound coarse in my phrasing, no, but, like... I, I tend to agree with you. It's Blade, man. Like, probably the, probably the leads of Blade should be black. Yeah. Yeah. So, I put, so Megan Good was my top choice. I think... I think... Megan Good's really, really good. <laughs> and I, I might just want to go with Megan Good, but my person is Janelle Monet. Oh, damn. Oh, yeah, damn. Someone who's supremely confident and competent. Yeah, the most confident person on the planet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, but you start not that confident, and just, like, just like the more powerful she becomes, yeah. the more confident she gets, to the point where she is vampire-level confident, and then she gets completely drained of blood, and she's like, no, no, I can still kick butt, it's fine. It's good, it's good. Oh, dude, what if... What if Janelle Monet was Blade's mom? And... Wait, who Ooh. do we have for her already? Uh, Zazie Beetz. Zazie Beetz. What do <laughs> we... Janelle, what Monet, did, Janelle what? Monet would be really good, I just, like, Zazie Beetz can actually do the action stuff. Oh, sure, yeah. I don't know. I feel like Janelle Monet could literally do anything, because anything she's tried, she's been the best at, Correct. period. So, who knows? Oh, <laughs> the reason why I'm more tempted to go with Megan Good is because I've used Janelle Monae before. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, good, and and I always like finding people that I haven't found before. Obviously, Janelle Monae is great. amazing. Yeah. Oh man, that's cool. But I would be much more interested in promoting someone who's on the rise yeah. as opposed. Oh, Megan Good was in Brick. 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's the first thing I ever saw her in. I didn't realize the connection until of like course. yesterday when I was looking her up. She's like the act, the um, theater kid in Brandy. Yeah. Um, she's cool. Okay, I like that. So we'll stick. Yeah, stick with Megan Good. Oh, that's a great like I said, idea. I, that's a great I mean, idea, it's, she is perfect casting for Karen because she's perfect casting for a lot of different things. <laughs> but I would much rather go with an actress who I also just today discovered is amazing. Dope. Let's see what else are the big hitters. So let's now talk about the character. I'm taking us down a weird path because I forgot to cast Pearl. Oh, I also did. So let's go down this path together. But as we were talking, I kind of had a realization of, is Pearl male or female or does it matter? I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters either, but they keep referring to Pearl. Like You see Pearl and, well, first of all, the name Pearl makes me think female. Yeah. But I think the reason that Pearl is named Pearl is because, and it is male. Yeah. He is Shaped. A, a round white sphere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was played by Eric something in the, yeah. in the first film. Um, but it, it does have a very, like, high-pitched voice and this, like, um, you know, androgynous demeanor. It's also an amorphous, uh, yeah. shaped d- demon creature. Um, yeah, I almost I almost always forget about that scene other than Karen, you know, leaning into cruelty at that point with mm-hmm. the UV light and whatnot. Because it, it does feel a little... It's... It's malicious. Yeah. And it's yeah. And sadistic, which yes. is the word I really wanted to say. Right, right. And it's like, well, Pearl can't do anything. We've completely cut Pearl off from everything. And here's the thing that I want to talk about with Pearl, because yeah. Pearl can't move. No. And all I wanted with Pearl was I just wanted a big hamster bottle full of blood <laughs> and Pearl to just lean over and go, oh, gross. <laughs> That's perfect, yes. And that's just all I wanted. Yeah. Because Pearl's such like... I mean, because Pearl is the dude in the chair. Yeah, yeah. It's it's your oracle. Yeah. You kind of want that. And then Pearl is killed because Karen's dipping into the sadism. Yeah. But Pearl is intrinsically dour, but also funny. Yeah. And so the person I thought of while we were talking is there's a British comedian... Named Johnny Vegas. I don't know him. Okay. Look up this actor. All right, Johnny Vegas. That's a fun name. He's born as Michael Joseph Pennington and known professionally as Johnny Vegas. Okay, yeah. And he's an overweight British comedian who has actually lost some weight, uh-huh. but he's so sad all the time. <laughs> And but to but the, like that's part of his gimmick. But like you watch him on these British panel shows, and he's yeah. just like, oh. Buddy. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's not that bad. He's got a sort of an Eeyore vibe. But then, yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, but yeah. then he also just does some of this stuff to himself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, they'll have this thing where they're just like throwing away chocolates. Like, they make some reference to a bunch of chocolate. And he's like, so what's going to happen with the rest of that chocolate? And then he'll kind of realize what he did. And he'll both lean into it and just be full of self-loathing. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you're someone who can, be, who can live forever and be automatically beautiful... Yeah. And you've just taken it to... You've taken the... Sh- you, you've literally taken the short-term excess to the extreme. To the extreme. And to the point where you just need a hamster Like, you can't even bottle. enjoy any of the... Yeah. Yeah. Know. That tracks. Okay. That's good. So that's why I didn't cast Pearl, but I re- I'm sad about it, but Johnny Vegas. I think Johnny Vegas works. Yeah. <laughs> um, along those lines, did you cast somebody to be police officer Krieger? No. 
I, I threw that out there just because, like, I was stuck on this familiars thing for a okay, while. Okay, yeah, and I and I think it's a good idea. Yeah. So who do you have for Police Officer Krieger? Uh, I I have Bill Hader for Police Officer Krieger. Because <laughs> I'm 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 interested right now, especially if anybody's been watching like Barry on HBO. Like I know Bill I Hader need to. Is ama- just, he's an amazing actor in general, but also like the idea that I think some like comedic performers that we have who have like been in one box for so long are probably, like, super adept at a bunch of other stuff that they don't have a chance to play You're on. really gonna like my Quinn. Oh, boy, I can't wait. Uh, so, I... Yeah, I... And again, because, you know, like, Donald Logue was Quinn in the original film, and, like, most mm-hmm. of the people would have just thought of Donald Logue as, like, hey, the, like, funny, funny, happy guy! And he's yeah. playing this, like, really creepy vampire in this. So, along those lines... Not a vampire. Well, Along those lines, uh... I just, I just love Bill Hader in general. I want him in the MCU... Like cool, sold. That's all I needed. <laughs> I didn't cast the role, so yeah, whatever right, you think. Good. Sounds good. Um, should we? All right, is Quinn the next? On let's the talk about Quinn. Okay, let's talk about Quinn. What are you thinking? So when we first kind of see Quinn, we kind of expect Quinn to be a little bit more of the big bad as opposed to the person who's kind of like serving the big bad. Yeah. So I kind of thought it'd be fun if we kind of had a more big name actor, especially an actor who wants to kind of break away from the way we're all seeing this particular actor and the way and and the types of roles this actor has been getting because this actor presumably can do lots of different things. Sure. And honestly, I think John Boyega would be a really good vampire. (laughs) Like doing something completely different from Star Wars. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That would be Where he plays insane and crazy and drugged up. Is like, hey man, I'm just gonna step, 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 step. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's a weird casting, but that's why I think it's interesting. That is interesting. That is interesting. Um, Tying into our whole thing about, like, you know, even within, like, a a weird, hateful group, there's all sorts of shades of colors and stuff like that. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, My Quinn was, I was like, okay, what do people remember out Quinn is, like, I didn't expect this comedic actor to be able to be this, like, creepy weirdo. Right. Um, And Quinn has to be, like, funny in the, like, haha sober scenes or whatever, and then become like scary weird like when like blade like gets him up against the wall and he starts like speaking in tongues basically and you're like oh what is that yeah and then he has to be like the threatening monster vampire in the um in the hospital that like sets right. off all the events and stuff like that so although you never really see his face that you don't really he's all, to be played by anybody he's like a but burned out weirdo yeah but like like the dude in the bandages on uh uh doom patrol mm. is what's the name of that actor wait the we're talking about Brendan Fraser? No, Brendan Fraser's uh, the robot. Oh, I don't want, I don't uh, want to You should. It's great. You I know love, people keep telling it. me. Yeah. There's a really famous, attractive actor f- who's in Doom Patrol. Hold on. Okay. Um, so I thought I would, like, just in the spirit of the original one, like, keep my list of Quinn options to comedians, either stand-up comedians or improvisers or people that are, like, well-known for their comedy, and, like, give one of them a crack at being, like, the scary weirdo, but that would also be funny mm-hmm. in the scenes. Um, so my top pick is Thomas Middleditch for Quinn. Interesting. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, if you only know of Thomas Middleditch from, like, Silicon Valley, like, yes, he's he's good at playing, like, the straight man in that show to the, the bonkers wacky people. Uh-huh. But if you've ever seen his, like, sketch work or, like, seen him do improv, like, he does manic, wild, weird characters about as good as anybody I've ever seen. Sure. Um, 
<laughs> even he and Pete Holmes used to do these like videos where they were like playing different X Men and stuff. I don't know. He's very he's hilarious. Yes, he's one of the. I think he's one of the funniest working actors today, just in general. But I also think he could lean into some like scary animalistic stuff and he's like cool and lanky so you could do like doug jonesy type makeup on him if he was becoming the um when he's doing his like growth re uh growing his arms and stuff or when he's all charred out like a burn victim i think i think he could become very scary or even be like a nosferatu type vampire type thing i don't know that'd be interesting yeah yeah. this is tricky yeah yeah the person i was trying to say is in doom patrol the character of Negative Man is played by a very attractive actor named Matt Bomer. Oh my god, Matt Bomer. Yeah. 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 Here's the thing. When he's the dude in the bandages just walking around a TV show, it's not Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer just like oh, just the VOs over it. Oh. <laughs> and I, I think it's an actor named uh, Matthew Zuck who actually plays him when he's walking around. Uh, this is the Darth Vader approach. It's literally the Darth Vader approach. That's fun. Yeah. Do they do the same thing with Brendan Fraser? I assume so. Yeah. I feel like he's... Does he have, like, literally bad back problems? Yeah, because there's literally someone here named Robot Man, and it's not Brendan Fraser, it's Riley Shanahan. Right. And that... It must be Brendan Fraser... Doing voice. Doing voiceover, because okay. why would you put Brendan Fraser in a weird robot costume every day? Every day, yeah. When you could just have him come in and do the voice. health issues he's had, yeah. You just, you're casting him for the voice and yeah. for the things. You're not actually... It's fine. I love Brendan Fraser. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm glad he's in New Patrol, because he's great. Yeah. He's so good. So, Quinn. Mm. Hmm. Hmm. John Boyega is a fun choice. I mean, we both picked left field choices. Yeah, they're this. they're out there. <laughs> they're so weird. <laughs> so I mean, but theoretically, let's take another step back. You did yeah. not cast the b- weird blonde lady, right? No. Okay. I I assume that's Mercury. There was the other option. There's like a Rachel in there or something, or uh, yeah, I don't know. it was. The cast list is hard to look up on the internet. Is a thing I have realized. Because some of them are, like, slightly interchangeable lackeys of Deacon. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there was this character named Raquel. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought. And it... I don't know. Uh-huh. Literally, it's these two people in a row. So it's either Mercury or Raquel, and one of them could have just been the one who, like, bit Quinn's arm as it was reforming. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. Mercury's a more fun name. It is? That's the one I picked. Good. I cast Alicia Vikander. Oh, dope. Who is Tomb Raider, Ex Machina. yeah. yeah. Just a, a Swedish actress who also was really good at action and because I want her to be more involved in the story because yeah. she's interesting and compelling and because I want it to be a colony cloud of bats I'm always vampires. Say, yeah, yeah, colony cloud. I'm always going to say like, yes to Vikander, so yeah. Right. Yeah. So if we have Vikander, uh, Vikander hmm. let's say we have kind of our, our main four of hmm. Mercury, Quinn. Does Blade's mom have a name? Uh, Vanessa is her name. Uh, Vanessa and Deacon. We have Stephen Young. We have Zazie Beetz. We have Alicia Vikander. Between John Boyega and Thomas Middleditch, who fits in with those more? Stephen Young, Zazie Beetz, Alicia Vikander, blank. I'm still pulling for Middleditch, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I think he would do good. Plus, he would make it. We could, you know, I mean, he's a. I think his parents are both English. He's a very, like, um, pasty white boy vibe He's to him. absolutely a pasty white boy. Yeah, yeah. Do we want a pasty white boy in the world of Blade? Because a pasty white boy is actually better for Police Officer Krieger. True, true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
there's also a possibility that neither of us have this particular cast nailed. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing is, is that, like, this is one of those where we're both kind of like, they're both good! They're both good! Yeah. As opposed to Blade, where we're like, those are both good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're left field choices. Um, I mean, if we're having, these are our uh, heads of this, like, counter-revolutionary thingy. I don't know. I do, I do kind of like the, the imagery inherent in when, when Blade takes down Quinn in the, what do you call it? The rave. You know, the, 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 the blood shower. The sure. blood shower rave. It's like killing all these vampires, whatever. Who's the important one? You know, who's our final boss that we deal with right. there? Is this almost. Who Blade for some reason says to torture instead of insta kill like he does literally everyone else. Right. He's like, oh, we're having fun here. Uh, is this almost, um, Viking looking, you know, old, yeah. Era, um, guy. I don't think either of ours kind of no. land there. So maybe there's something But there. between... Because I still think we should have a rave, because... Yeah, absolutely. Of yeah. <laughs> Who could we better picture, and I don't know the answer to this, mm. running a rave? Thomas Middleditch or John Boyega? <laughs> John Boyega's a little bit more together. Yeah. Here, here's, my, here's my final pitch for John Boyega. Okay, okay, okay. If we go with John Boyega... We have some, like, we have the example, regardless of who we cast for Blade, uh-huh. of Blade literally, the reason why Blade has a hard time killing Quinn and the reason why Blade hates Quinn so much is because literally that's the image of what Blade does not want to be. Um, okay. Okay. I see, I see where you're going. Yeah. I see where you're going. And literally, like, that's like, if I just kind of give in all my urges, that's what I turn into. Yeah. But also, but also Thomas Middleditch is also great. Thomas Middleditch is great. What about this? Okay. Did you look someone up? What if what if Bill Skarsgård plays Quinn? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> hold on. So again, again, because we want to have uh, Stormare in there the, and the, the Vampire Elders. It, the and, actor from It. Yes, yeah, yeah, Bill Skarsgård. I mean, he's super creepy. He is super creepy, and he's a funny weirdo. He is a funny, goofy, weird guy. Um, <sighs> his whole family is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a great Hollywood family. It's a great Hollywood family. Um, or sweet, whatever the um, Norse version of Hollywood is. Hollywood. Sure, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Borkwood. 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 Great. Holly Bork. Yes. Wonderful. I'm sure. Anywhere. <laughs> uh, my apologies to my that. seven Finnish, Swedish, Swedish Norse yeah. listeners. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good casting. I think that we get someone who looks like they belong, who can do real creepy really well. I think Bill Skarsgård's a good, a good. A, a good replacement. Good All right, let's leave him there. <laughs> it was a good final push for John Boyega. I'm though. liking it. That was really good. That was like, <laughs> yeah. So then I only have one more cast member before I have writer-director. Okay. Do you have more than that? I just only have one more. Just Dragon Eddie? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Orlando Bloom. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, legit. Here's where I'm going to unpin that pin from earlier when I was like, so we're talking about an actor that will feel like they've been an ancient vampire for decades yeah. upon decades, sure. centuries upon centuries. All right. And I think it has to be Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Look. We all initially had the Keanu Reeves thought. We all did. <laughs> you have to have Keanu Reeves in there. <laughs> Here's the thing. For Blade as it was made, yeah. 
Never. Ever. Absolutely <laughs> not. There's no possible way. But Marvel mm? is tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. And if you cast someone who's eternal, and you want to just lean into the old Hollywood jokes, you obviously have to cast Keanu Reeves. I mean... That's why I did Orbl- Orlando, Orlando Bloom. Bloom. Because yeah. I didn't want to hit that button too hard, but you're just... Like, I literally cast Orlando Bloom because I'm like... It's kind of like the Keanu Reeves thing, but not quite. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Someone who looks eternal. But obviously, like, obviously Keanu Reeves is, if you want to do this it's joke, eternal. that's yeah. the joke. Yeah, that's the joke. Um, and then, or also, and again, when we were talking about when I didn't have my fully formed Deacon ideas, that like a Nikolai Coster-Waldo character, oh, I can't pronounce the name, Nikolai Coster-Waldo, I think that's how you pronounce it, Jamie Lannister. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As an elder, maybe he's Dragon Eddie. Or maybe he's just in the the group. I think he's a good person to have. Like, he is, he would obviously be good. He's, yeah. He's a terrific actor. He's an amazing Jamie Lannister. It's not funny. No, it's not funny. No, we're both going for funny here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things where I think that this would get thrown around, around and then immediately be like, but we can't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, like, why? Yeah. Why can't we do that? Maybe we should do the joke. Yeah. The joke is fun. I like the joke. The joke can still work. Yeah. Okay. So do we... And then because it's Marvel and they always end the movie with a mid-credits tease for the next movie Mm -hmm. and an end-credit joke. Yes. The end-credit joke is you cut to the set of the third Bill and Ted movie (laughs) and you're like, where's Keanu? (laughs) He hasn't shown up to set for a week. Where is he? And that's the end of the movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, ridiculous and fun. Uh, that's what you do. I think that's what you do. I think <laughs> that's a stacked cast, man. I'm digging it. All right. We just got to go back and pick our blade. We got to go back and pick our blade. Um, I think we landed a f- uh, maybe a few extra on mine. Yeah. Um, let's go with Jason Easy Mitchell. E. Yeah, let's go with Jason it. Jason Mitchell. Yeah. Easy. E. Okay. Does that work? Yeah, I think it works for, like, a, a modern... I mean, obviously, they're both amazing. Yeah, they're both, you know, young, talented We'll actors. literally go with whichever one of the two is available. Yeah. And when in the coin flip of life, it happened to come up Jason Mitchell. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> All right, so that's our cast list. Um, now we gotta talk about... Writer-director. Writer-director. I found some cool people. Let's talk about writer first. Okay. This writer has worked on Luke Cage, on Ray Donovan, on Notorious, on Nightwatch... On Creed 2. Dang. He's been a producer of these things. And the sad thing is, is that I've never heard of this gentleman. Yeah. But he's obviously very, very good. He's currently the writer on Visionaries, Knights of the Magical Land, and Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command. Mm. He wrote a movie called uh, Lowriders. He worked on Almost Human, NCIS. This guy's great. Yeah. He is a writer named Shio Hidori Coker. I, I don't know him, but obviously his resume is amazing. And he both has written just like the NCIS amazing Hollywood things. And he's yeah. also written stories that are good stories from a black perspective. Yeah. He's at the Notorious and he split that movie, difference. right? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not- that's Notorious. Gotcha. Like he wrote that movie and he's good. He knows what he's doing. Legit. Okay. And I like him. That's good. I like that a lot. Um, I was like, we're swinging for fences here. Um, and I was 
already. We can't go with Taika Waititi. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, you know, then a team of Christopher McQuarrie and Barry Jenkins. I don't know. Um, I mean, that would be great. That would be great. Uh, there's no way they could afford that as no. a screenwriting team. Um, oh, I like... Okay, I like Chew. Yeah. Um, that's legit. Because he's done this, he's done action, and he's done, like... Telling someone's life story and also doing action, so I, that, that's why I thought he was an, an interesting writer. I think that's cool. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been limiting mine to. I, I don't think I've seen any of those things. Well, I saw some of Luke, Luke Cage. Yeah. Um, so I watched season one. I like yeah. the first half of season one. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I would I would want like a screenwriter heavy hitter, but I don't think that's realistic for either of the people I threw out. And um, I don't necessarily think a heavy hitter will will be able to tell the story the correct story yeah plus with the way the marvel films are written that like a lot of the other writers help out and chip in in the yeah. in the script like when it's james, all a big collaboration yeah like when james gunn was advising on spider-man homecoming and when those of writers are talking you know um that whoever whoever is in the chair for that will also have the, the support structure and the resources of course of the marvel thing so like and he is already a part of the marvel universe also, yes, yeah, because Luke Cage. Because Luke Cage. Um, okay, which, quite frankly, didn't necessarily appeal to me, but I know a lot of people who really liked it because it spoke a language that was real. Yeah. Who who does Black Lightning? I don't know. Is I didn't look it up. Sure on that. Because um, Black Lightning is also very very good. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, but you know, again, that might be too obvious of a choice. Sure. They're like, well, who's done black superhero stuff before? Yeah. Um, in terms of directors, I have a name on the top of my list. I'm going to throw this out here. I think Antoine Fuqua should direct. Tell me about Antoine Fuqua. Oh, boy. Uh, so Antoine Fuqua... Spell Antoine Fuqua. It is A-N-T-O-I-N-E, and then Fuqua is F-U-Q-U-A. So he's been around for forever. He works a lot with Denzel, but like he's most known for Training Day. And um, these days he does... He did like Southpaw and Equalizer movies and and uh, The Magnificent Seven. He has um, so many movies in development. He has 10 movies currently in development. Yeah, Antoine's thing is that, like, I mean, Antoine Fuqua is the guy you go to when you need, like, badass action shit. Yeah. You know? And I have, I'm not always, like, super big on uh, the, the story and writing in his films, but he almost never writes what he directs. So if you pair him with a good writer, you know, awesome stuff can happen. Absolutely. I liked, I liked his Magnificent Seven, and he's just, if you need somebody to be doing badass action, Antoine Fuqua. Like... That, I mean, that's the fuck up your shit. Sorry, yeah. can I say that? <laughs> you heard how I opened the show. Yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we're talking about Blade. Yeah, it's Blade. People like, are going to drop some f drop some f bombs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just he, that's he, a really good choice. Yeah, you need some badass stuff. Let yeah. me tell you about mine. Okay, I have a director named Stephen Capel Jr. Okay, he directed Creed two. He direct he's oh. directed Grownish. He isn't as much of a heavy hitter in terms of directing. He's also someone who's kind of on his way up because yeah. he's done a lot of television. Yeah. He's done the comedies of stuff like Gronish, but he also did like Creed 2. And I like, he, so he kind of has that blend of action and comedy, which is kind of the, the Marvel school of directing. Sure. Yeah. And that, that's why I thought he <laughs> would be interesting. And he had a working relationship with Chio already. Yes. From, from, okay, cool. I would be more inclined to go with Antoine Fuqua. Yeah. Because if you're doing Blade, you need to blow out all the stops. Yeah, badass action. Yeah. Okay. He does badass action very well. The only thing that I would say he's not good at is there isn't a single joke on here. <laughs> I mean, 
Denzel's funny in Training Day, man. Like, he's <laughs> he's funny. But again, like, if you're combining the, like... Yeah. What is, what is played is the combination of, you know, the the Marvel serialized storytelling aesthetic with the sort of, like, badass um, right. action stuff. So, And obviously, because it's Blade, it would have a different... It would ideally have a different <laughs> tone than the rest of the Marvel Universe, even right. if it is cinema. Yeah, we're trying to aim for a, a part of the MCU that feels of a piece of it, but is doing something like a Ragnarok and less like a Thor of the Dark World, you know? Yeah. Like, it can still have a very personal take on and it. And I still absolutely think it meets the tone of the, the Netflix Marvel as yeah. opposed to the Marvel movies. Yeah. So, and again, because Fuqua doesn't usually write his own stuff, if we pair him with somebody who has all of this serialized right. storytelling and superhero experience, I think it's a good combo. Good. Cool. Beautiful. Then let's walk through who we have. Okay. Blade. <laughs> as part of the MCU. <laughs> we are starting with Blade, played by Jason Mitchell. Deacon Frost will be Stephen Young. Blade's mom, Jessica. Vanessa. Vanessa. <clears throat> I just wrote Blade's mom. That's fine. Will be Zazie Beetz. Whistler will be played by Octavia Spencer. Karen will be played by Megan Good. Quinn will be Bill Skarsgård. Dragonetti will be Keanu Reeves. <laughs> Mercury, or whatever her name was, will be Alicia Vikander. Yeah. Pearl is Johnny Vegas. The police officer Krieger is Bill Hader. Written by Chio Hidori Coker and directed by Antoine Fouquet. Dude, that, dude, that, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get a Blade movie again eventually. Yeah. Just because we're getting a Morpheus movie? Yeah, you know, that's life. <laughs> but we're here to make them as good as possible. But if getting a Morpheus movie means that we will eventually get a Blade movie, I'm here for it. I'm here for it, too. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And the world could use some more vampire slayers. Absolutely. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. So, Zach, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, if you want to find me on the internet, you can follow me on the uh, the Twitters and Instagrams at Zachary J. Luna. And, um, with a K or an H. Oh, with an H in there. Yeah, Zachary J. Luna. And uh, my normal uh, hotspot is on the Dueling Genre Podcast Network, where I host Spider-Man Minute, and I'm one of the characters on Geek by Night. So check out that stuff. Yeah, both great podcasts. That Thank you. If you enjoy podcasts, you should listen to them. Much you, if you enjoy Spider-Man and haven't listened to Spider-Man Minute, you're missing out. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me. This is my always pleasure. a pleasure. If you're interested in following me on the internet, uh, I'm on Twitter at Sam Gash, S-A-M-G-A-S-C-H. If you want to follow the podcast, it's on Twitter and Instagram at Ideal Remake. Spelled how it sounds. Spelled how it's, yeah. Or join us on Facebook, Ideal Remake, Ideal Remake Podcast. But if you could do one thing for the show this week, please tell a friend about it. Yeah. If you like the movie Blade and you like what we said about it, because we're right, <laughs> <laughs> tell someone about it because this was super fun to talk about and we want to talk about more movies. Yeah. So yeah. Zach, thank you for trying to skate uphill with me. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure. <laughs>